Whether you keep them in your home or love to see them in theirs, these are the creatures that bring us all together. Reptiles. Reptiles. We're going to be delving into the experiences of reptile lovers from around the block and around the world. This is the Reptile Talk Podcast. What's up, everybody? This is Jeremy Turgeon from Brassman Reptiles. And I'm Rob, and I'm a Muppet that's creeping it real. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my god! If you're just listening to the audio, that'll make no sense at all. Yep. Just dancing and we, we just talked about not wanting to do anything yep. crazy visual. <laughs> and what is the first thing that you do is dancing, something crazy visual. Being a weirdo. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I'm super pumped because this is kind of like a... Uh, 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 coming back to our roots and yes. getting back to some of our first episodes that's right a year later and i'm super pumped because we have got uh sir steve tillis sir Wait, steven is he, tillis is he dr steve tillis now? is is he doctor yet i don't uh, know i okay. i i uh, can i ever call him dr steve tillis oh without i will feeling, i mean i'm 100 going to do it but i'll also be like man i am really nothing uh, yeah <laughs> i am worthless yeah yeah what what am i uh, oh, man. All right. So we're talking with Steve Tillis. If you're watching on YouTube, thank you so much for jumping over. And uh, appreciate you. We definitely appreciate you guys. You're getting the back to back episodes because we just finished talking with Justin Kabelka for episode 52. If you're listening on just the audio, well, you can go listen to episode 52 in a week. And <laughs> yeah. Or this from a week from, to, from today. today. Yeah. Yep. Something like that. I don't know. Either way, you're going to figure it out. Let's stop the bullshit and bring prospective Dr. Tillis. <laughs> Wait, wait, wait. What? No, do it. Oh, oh okay. Saying, oh, okay. I thought you were saying, get, wait. Get oh. to it. No, no, get to Hi, it. Hi, Steve. What's up, man? Man, man, you guys overhype me too much. And and don't tell me that I'm going literally back to back with, with Justin Kabelka. That's. Yup. Yep. Yep. Setting it up the for next me. Next episode. Yep. Where the hell is those ball pythons, dude? <laughs> <laughs> Steve's like, I have the Zeo River locality normal. It's at least this, six feet. This is not a <laughs> right. super orange dream pied clown. Yeah. Uh, you know, see though, it's funny. It's funny you say that because the only ball pythons I have are literally like either dreamsicle stuff or zero river stuff or the weird stuff i brought back from africa to try and prove out and the you know basic morphs to, to prove them out with yeah. uh and one of them is an orange dream and one of them is uh you know you name it They're, they know all the base genes there they had a bucket full of them and you know <laughs> yeah. so yeah oh man amazing amazing so what dude how have you been it's been a while been since a we've talked yeah. to you on here so so uh i'm actually having a weird a weird week um in a certain sense uh oh, no yeah so i just found out yesterday that um so my first pet ball python who i've had for 16 years so got him when i was 11 mm. um about a month ago he was going in a shed and he got really uh uppity and even you know even just defensive in shed is just atypical for this snake that i've had for 16 years and used mm. in umpteen thousand you know educational presentations and um about two weeks later, I noticed a really big mass on the side of his neck. Uh, mm. And then when I took him in, you know, I, I scheduled a CT and brought him in for a CT. And, and you know, within the week it took me to book that, it had almost increased by size by 50%. So it's not looking oh, wow. great for him. So, you know, that's kind of a bummer story to, to lead on to, you know, from the beginning. But the, the reason I'm saying that this is a weird week for me 
is that because of COVID, one of the, the safest lab activities I've been able to do is to practice cell culture. And part of that is establishing, um, you know, cell lines from animals that have passed away. Mm. And one of uh, the things that we have tried multiple times now and failed at completely is a ball python cell line. Um, and a tumor cell is like the holy grail in terms of starting tissue from a cell culture, because, you know, if, if, so cancer is a cell that's figured out how to live forever. Yeah. So if I take a piece of that and throw it in a culture, essentially what I can do is, is make my first ball Python immortal. So, (laughs) so it's, 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 it's sad and it's neat at the same time that because of this weird, you know, set of circumstances i'm at a really good place in my life to be able to capitalize on this really sucky moment for me but but you know the 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 significance of having this animal that you know in my personal life has 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 vastly changed the course of my life um to know that you know a hundred years from now this snake could still be benefiting herpetoculture is is such a special feeling and it's such a rare like i i i can never I could have never plot out the set of circumstances that would lead me to be able to sit in this seat and be able to do that. But, All but it's wild. Place. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it's, it's really, it's, you know, if that had happened two years ago or two years from now, it would have just been another dead ball Python, you know? Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's, it's, uh, weird. Very weird. And I mean, especially because you guys know the number of ball pythons under my care. The fact that that of all the ones that, and I mean, granted, it's it is an older snake and stuff, so it would yeah. be statistically more likely to end up with something tumorous. But again, I have a lot of old snakes that I manage, and for you know, this is the only one with a tumor, so you know. Yeah, <laughs> that is definitely a weird week. It's yeah. a weird week, yeah. But yeah, the 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 prospect of an immortal ball python is is. What a neat legacy to be able to leave behind. Like, like again, just a match, a, a personal legacy in my own life to, 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 to a scientific one is, is God, such a unique feeling. Yeah. I just want all the non ball Python people to clip that immortal ball Python. Yeah. What are you going to name and, that morph? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. You know, it's funny is that it will get a cell line name. So, you know, it's, there you go. Probably, Ooh. probably like, yeah, Bappy ball Python. Yeah. Nothing, nothing clever. But, Oh, dude, you gotta I... at least name it after yourself. Yeah, something like that. But... <laughs> what, oh, what's man. really funny is that, like, sometimes the the cells of the animals kind of take on the characteristics of the original animal they came from. So, like, uh, I was uh, setting up a bunch of Galapagos tortoise cell lines over the summer, and this was like a, awesome. a like you know of a, a, a Galapagos tortoise that died of old age. So, like, a very old, already giant old tortoise. And uh, its cells were not aware that the composite being that they were a part of had decided to part this world because, man, every single, literally every tissue I threw on a plate was just, just, just grew a cell line. It just, everything, everything wanted to, all those cells were very much keen on, on keeping going. So, you know. Yeah, it was. That's insane. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That really is insane. Damn it, Steve. my you, favorite you... cell culture story is uh, so there's a corn snake heart cell line that we uh, tried to establish, and man, it was like a month after we had taken it out of this, you know, take remove the tissue, the heart tissue from this dead animal, 
and uh, those heart cells were still beating in culture in the plate. It was wild. what? Yeah. What? Yeah, thir- thirty days after they were no longer part of a snake, and they were still going. Yeah, that's insane. What the hell? So okay, so we're kicking this off with some insanity. Yeah, right. Yeah, now. going going real weird places real quick. So Jesus, you know, I, I just again, it's it's. I mean, you guys called me up yesterday asking for podcast material, and and I'll be like, well, I certainly have had it stumble across my plate in the last three hours. So you know, Holy God, crap. Steve, you live a pretty awesome life. I'm, I really I'm, do. <laughs> I, I know, and I really like can't understate it. To to the to the, like, I have none of this plan. Like, I just stumble through life, and cool things happen to me. And you know, it. The way I describe it is, I'm a very lucky person. It's either extreme bad or extreme good. Oscillates wildly, but 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 <laughs> you know, if anything, I'm lucky. And it's you know, the first ball python dies, but also I can turn it into an immortal cell line at the only point in my life of which I'm probably ever going to be able to do that, you know? Yeah. Jesus. That this is, is so wild. Wow. It's serendipitous. It's, it's Damn. Ser- ag- yeah. But wait, and again, Steve, I feel like nothing. Yeah. I- <laughs> <laughs> I, I, again, it's, it's, it, you guys give me too much credit. I don't, I don't I, I'm a, I'm like, a lucky person. Immortal I, cell line. I don't know what you're Yeah, saying. yeah. I just made the, I'm going to make the only immortal wall python. And dude, I can't wait to tell Kevin that. Ooh. You're like, it's, hey, you yeah. think you're badass, you think Mr. Cool? Evil Morph God? Get yeah. this. Yeah. No, sorry. I should be careful. I don't want to jinx it because, you know, it's still, it's still a snake in my snake room. So, you know, it, yeah. It, yeah, these, yeah. the success rate on establishing cell lines is not great. But that being mm-hmm. said, this kind of scenario is a type of scenario which we typically have success with. So yeah, we'll see what happens. But oh, man. but my fingers are crossed. It would be it would be it would feel fitting, you know. I would yeah. I would uh, I would feel like that that is a satisfactorily endpoint at that animal's life. It's it's lived a full you know full life at that point. So, yeah. yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. Man, it's more than a lot of people can say in the reptile hobby. I'm just saying. That's like <laughs> that is very, very true. You're like, I had my ball python for five years and I died. And you're like, oh no, I've had this thing for 16 years now, and uh, it yeah. developed a tumor, which is really weird because they don't usually do that. So yeah, yeah, and I mean, especially like again, it was like I, I'm talking about this ball python as a tumor that is three inches by about a half inch on its neck. Holy like, oh wow, it, and that that was not there a month ago. Wow. That's crazy. So whatever it is, it's very aggressive, and very aggressive tumors also happen to be very aggressive salines. So, yeah. yeah. Hmm. hmm. Wow. Hmm. All right. Where do we go from here? I was gonna say. <laughs> well, I've been talking to, to Steve about some. I've been watching some of the blood and short tail things that he's been doing. And oh yeah, He's got yeah, yeah. some cool stuff going on over there. So you're feeling pretty good about the direction those girls are going in. Yeah, yeah. So I, I tried something different this year, and uh, it worked really well. Um, yeah, kind of, kind of too well because I had kind of <laughs> anticipated a success rate that I would uh, typically expect. Not uh, uh, like so. Normally, my success rate on bloods like fifty percent. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, this year it's something like I think eighty percent. Um, so what I did was, uh, I fed them pretty decently over the summer, you know, nothing crazy. And then just did not feed them at all. Uh, 
November, December, and about half of October. Yeah, half of October. Then when January hit, I just fed him a jumbo rat a week for about five to six weeks. Mm -hmm. And at that point, almost every single female had ovulated. Wow. Like Damn. females that went last year ovulated. Even in Bronger's time, which I've never had that happen, ever. Yeah. Ever had a female lay back to back. So I, whatever it was, I don't know. And it's also been a mild winter here in Florida. So, you know, yeah. maybe it, maybe it was nothing to do with my feeding. But 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 I tried something different and it worked really well this year. And uh, I wasn't prepared for that. So, well, and, mm. you know, there's a lot, a lot of ground to cover between here and babies on the ground. So, you know, you never... Never let words get too far ahead of you, but we'll see. True. Yeah. Damn. That's pretty exciting. That's going to be a lot of babies, bro. It is. And it'll be a lot of cool stuff, too. Because it's, again, it's like every, every, I've refined my collection to a point where every element of it has an explicit purpose. And so every clutch is going to be a great clutch. And that's a good place to be at. Yep. But yeah. it's also a, uh, not a great place to be at. In some senses, you know, <laughs> like trying to find all of the mice to feed all of those babies. <laughs> yeah, or yeah, just, or just the, the time, just the time, you the know, time too. Yeah, time yeah. is my absolute rarest uh, resource right now, and so my you know, uh, we'll. I'll have to get creative. Yeah, well, I mean, but yeah. it's not like you know you do anything. Yeah, it's right. Just, yeah, yeah. You know, I don't know. I don't know why you're so strapped for time. <laughs> dude i mean just for the people that for the people that don't know like when i text steve about something and i get a response like that same day there's like a little like oh that happens when i see his name pop up because i'm usually genuinely like he's not gonna see this until like midnight or one in the morning if he's still alive at that point <laughs> and then maybe i'll get a response the next morning if he doesn't want to just leave me on red so oh, yeah, no, conversing with me is, is really wild. You never know, never know when it's gonna get a reply. I mean, yeah, exactly. That's why I'm like, hey, I talked to Steve and like he's ready to go. And I'm I don't know do how this to, right now. Yeah, I don't know how to feel about that because <laughs> this is this is intense right now. <laughs> oh man. Well, it's I'm a... glad to be on. Am I your first second guest? Uh yes. First double yes, guest. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. Sweet. Yep. Hell yeah. First for well, I'll take that as another another little badge there or something. <laughs> there you go. Boom. There you go. So you've been doing a lot of um, uh, research and doing a lot of work, and then you're you're working on your doctor, right? Yeah, so I'm working on a PhD. So um, I'll be doing my qualifying exam in the next couple of months. Um, after that, I will be a PhD candidate. But right now, I'm just a PhD student. So, and then. Two years after this, uh, I will defend my dissertation and then be Dr. Tillis. So, so and, we got time. Ooh, we, we got, got time. time. I'm, I'm, yeah, at this point, I'm like pre-pre-doctor. So, like, I'm, I'm like way barely in the running. So, so right now, it's just a little D and a little R. That's, <laughs> that's, that's it. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, like I'm, that, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not feeling any kind of anything but sarcasm and terrible jokes. That's, that's what's happening tonight. You, that's the you can call it a. Uh, Pre-HD? We'll go with that. Pre-HD. Okay. All right. The I web like MD? That. Yeah. The web MD. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> he knows like, a lot. And anything but the web MD. Just not the <laughs> not web that, MD. Not that. <laughs> I'll take the pre-med yeah. MD. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. And uh, 
So I've been doing my PhD research on uh, reptile pathogens, but largely that's shaken out to be uh, predominantly mitovirus stuff, or really uh, serpentivirus um, is the more appropriate name to call these guys. Yeah. 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 And Man. we talked like a little bit about that the last time, um, but there's so much that has changed in the interim, and you know, since since we spoke to you last a year ago, yeah. Um, <laughs> what are uh, what is some of the stuff that you've seen? What is some of the stuff that's going on? That's some of the stuff that you can talk about. Yeah. So um, what I've been doing of as of late is, is both um, in vitro experimentation, so experimenting with virus and cell culture, and that's the kind of stuff where we can start figuring out um, what kind of host range these guys might have, these viruses might have uh, in vitro, at least, you know, if we throw a python, a ball python serpentovirus on uh, Galapagos tortoise, is it going to grow there? Or, you know, maybe it, maybe it infects, but it doesn't infect that well. So it doesn't actually mm -hmm. grow, but we can still see that there's an interaction there. So that, that's the kind of questions that we're really trying to figure out with that type of research. Um, and the other thing related to that is really a lot of the uh, like sanitizer type studies and environmental mm -hmm. stability. So I'm actually really excited. Tomorrow's the first pilot experiment with some of the sanitizer stuff. Um, yeah, so that, that'll be unique to see it. I still think we need to probably tweak that assay a little bit before it's ready for, for full scale mm -hmm. uh, experimentation with it. But, but it'll, knock on wood, hopefully I get some decent pilot data to, to kind of run with that. And then... Um, I just finished some environmental stability stuff where basically we take aliquots, tiny, tiny uh, portions of virus and leave them out on, you know, at room temperature in the freezer or a fridge for, you know, basically I take a sample of virus every uh, two days and see how much live virus is left still. Um, mm. And it's actually looking pretty good in that. So right now we experiment with ball python Cytovirus, Bolpithens, or Pentavirus, which in my mind has earned the place as probably the, the Serpentavirus, which I would rightfully feel the most scared of. Um, but, um, no, shoot, I forgot where I was going with that. Oh, oh, um, yeah, so we, uh, environmental stability, we found that uh, at room temperature, probably about eight to 10 days. So that's pretty in line with what we expected uh, off other research with coronaviruses. So good to know that 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 uh, you know the environmental longevity is really pretty limited, which is again pretty much what we expected. But but it's one thing to hypothesize that based on similar viruses, and another thing to actually have you know here's the data that says that that's not so much the case. So yeah, and and that's um, research that is directly funded from Carpet Python or Carpet Fest. So. Um, that's awesome. Yeah, that there, there is your, there's your research always at work. It is happening. COVID sucks, but you know, stuff's yeah. moving. That's cool. Yeah, that's that's really cool. Yeah. And um, just I want to backtrack just a little bit. Uh, if someone is listening to this podcast and has never heard of serpentovirus or nidovirus, uh, what is like a quick uh, rundown of of what what it is, um, what it kind of presents as or doesn't present as. And uh, and just like a, a quick little synopsis of, of like what what the re what it is that you're researching. Sure. Yeah. So uh, serpentaviruses are are a large family, a large genus of viruses uh, in the order Nidovirales, which is actually the same order as coronaviruses. Um, they're not super closely related to coronaviruses, but I mean they're certainly share more in common with each other than they do to any other 
major type of virus. So mm-hmm. um, much like coronavirus, these are predominantly respiratory oral tract type viruses that target those types of tissues. Um, and they certainly seem to play a large role, if not a majority role uh, in causing respiratory infections. So um, the 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 recipe for a respiratory infection is definitely not as simple as sick plus virus equals sick. <laughs> um, but a lot of times, if you get a sick snake and you look at the recipe, a strand of virus is in it. Is there? If that yeah. makes sense, you know. Yeah. So if you see a if you see a virus, I don't automatically think it's sick snake. But at this point, when I see a, a certainly a python with a respiratory infection, I mean, if you're not like you know, keeping it at 30 degrees or something like that, like, and I see rest. If you have a room full of otherwise healthy snakes and you have one snake that is not doing as great, yeah. you know, that's, that's when I really start to, you, you know, there's no, that one cage isn't sitting at, you know, 60 degrees or something yeah, like that. You know, there's yeah, something yeah, yeah. different going on in that animal and, and, and there goes that. But so, so a lot of there, I want to walk on a fine line here. And I want to make sure I, I, I point out two things. So I'm, I will be speaking at some points here as, you know, Steve, PhD student, um, talking about, you know, the legitimate stuff, the stuff that I can talk about with, with legitimate research and stuff like that. And I'm also going to be talking as Steve, the guy who's been keeping and breeding pythons for breeding pythons for 12 years, um, kind of thick fitting what I have learned as a PhD student into what I've seen in my experience with, with herpiculture. So, mm. you know, some of the stuff that I'm, uh, so, so I'll explicitly talk about the role serpentivirus plays in my colony. Um, and this is where I have, you know, see the, the, the snake keeper hat on, you know, if that makes <laughs> yeah. sense. So, yeah. so um, what has, changed in my mind. So we did uh, a, a little bit more deep uh, genetic sequencing of full genomes. And what was interesting is that we had a uh, reticulated python that diagnostically tested positive for a virus that's actually very similar to a reticulated python in my colony. And mm. this is a retic that I've had for a very long time, never broke with illness. I think the thing is entirely bulletproof. I tested a lot of other samples with very similar viruses and not seen a virus or not seen illness in, in any of these things. So in my mind, that's that's a virus that I'm kind of a little bit less concerned about. But interestingly, we had a diagnostic sample of a sick snake that tested positive for that virus. And so we sequenced the entire genome of that. And we actually found two viruses in that snake. We found a reticulated python virus, which was actually at a pretty low level. Mm-hmm. And we had also a virus that kind of looked like a green tree python virus, which is a little bit more known to certainly cause illness. Um, and so, you know, kind of hypothesized that, that, that this snake had, you know, literally two viruses, one virus in it that probably didn't matter for the health of the animal. Right. And the other one that was causing it to, to have respiratory infection and causing it to have to have a diagnostic sample, same thing, you know? So it's... Wow. So... What is interesting, because when you look at the amount of sequence we generated, it's basically potentially that the, the green tree python virus was similar virus. It was at eight times the level as the reticulated python virus. 
-hmm. But because our initial diagnostic primers liked the retake virus more, it outcompeted it in amplification. And so that was the only virus we picked up on our diagnostic sample. Really? Hmm. So what's interesting is we'd be able to say, you know, we, we would think just based on the diagnostic sample that this retake is a retake virus and that's what's causing it to be sick. Uh, and that was probably maybe not the case for this animal. And that's uh, not, not to, to, you know, cast doubt on, on any of it so much as just to say that it's really freaking complex and there's a ton of viruses out there and sometimes they matter and sometimes they don't and sometimes that can occur in the same animal, you know? Mm-hmm. That really is crazy. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. Hmm. So, so with that in mind, um, here is how I now manage my colony. So I should start back that, that uh, I had an outbreak in um, part of my adult blood pattern colony in like, oh man, 2017, 18 maybe. Um, and so as part of that, I tested every single snake in the colony and found nine serpentoviruses of which two were actually associated with any sort of illness in my colony. Um, and at the time I took a very heavy handed approach. I, I euthanized anything that was positive, uh, mm -hmm. with the exception of, with the one exception of, uh, the reticulated python and Kenyan sand boas that were positive because, uh, they, the risk that they showed to me seemed pretty, pretty minimal, especially because I don't have a bunch of sand boas or anything like that. They're literally, you know, living in a tank in my living room kind of thing. So, you know, that was a risk I was willing to live with. But yeah. aside from that, I was really heavy handed and, and euthanized, you know, almost everything. So that was, that was my year one result. And what was left of my colony was holdbacks and neonates, which took me, you know, a number of years to raise up and now they're starting to come online. And so theoretically, everything in my building now has been tested negative three times. Mm -hmm. And then last year, uh, I had a gravid female go through a prelay shed, break with a super mild resp after her prelay shed totally cleared it. But I went ahead and tested her and she tested positive for blood python serpentovirus. So, well, you know, so here's the thing. A, a PCR test is answering the question, did we detect RNA of this virus on the swab? And there's potentially a lot of reasons the answer to that might be no, besides the fact that, that the snake doesn't have any virus. You know, it could be that, right. that the, the primers don't pick it up. It could be that it's at too low of a concentration. What I think is going on in my particular animals is that when these animals aren't stressed, they're just not shedding enough virus to be picked up on a fat. They're, they're not stressed animals. They can have an immune system capable of, of keeping an otherwise kind of uh, inert virus for blood pythons in check. And honestly, this is why when you, when you look around and you hear about blood pythons sensitive to rest, mm -hmm. like atypically, like knowing what i know now that hits every bullshit red alarm in my brain of what a low level <laughs> serpentovirus absolutely acts like does, so yeah yeah so we, what we don't know is if these guys are completely like intermittent shedders or if it's just you know sometimes they they you know, we don't we don't know what the sensitivity is on the test to know what the threshold is for it can to pick up and the other challenge too is it's likely to be slightly different for every virus for the exact same reason that that retic had two viruses and yet diagnostically only tested positive for one. 
because you know if you have one virus that that those primers really like, it's going to be outcompeted. Uh, you know, the other virus is going to be outcompeted by it on the on the test. So it's it's yeah, it's tricky. So anyway, <laughs> oh, man, yeah. La- last year, so last year I handled it where I'm like, I'm going to you know anything that broke with that kind of rest, I went ahead and euthanized. I was like, whatever virus is in this individual animal clearly has conditions under which it can be uh disease causing and so in my mind that is absolutely you know grounds for not being in the adult colony um but this year i'm gonna try something a little different because i think these snakes are you know the these females after being gravid after laying their clutch of eggs after no longer being stressed are probably gonna I know they're going to go back being healthy because they've already shown that, but I think they have a good chance of going back to actually testing negative if that virus is brought back down to a low enough level where it's no longer really shedding it. Mm-hmm. Um, so this year, what I'm doing is uh, any sort of female like that. Again, I'm talking like a super mild rest. Like you might even miss it if you're not looking for it, but I'm I've so honed in on what I'm looking for now that you know if I see any hint of it, Instead of just euthanizing those animals, I decided I'm going to isolate them this year and just keep them isolated until they test negative and determine when that might be. And so here's kind of what has prompted part of my shifting in that mentality. And that was a, there's actually a radio lab episode that was just put out called uh, Dispatch, Dispatch 14 COVID Crystal Ball. And in this episode, they looked at um, immunocompromised uh, COVID patient, patients. Mm-hmm. And what they found is in one immunocompromised COVID patient, after each kind of attempted treatment to, to save this person, the virus within their body actually changed in terms of, of which uh, kind of phenotypes of the virus were being represented in which proportionality. So like after um, an antibody treatment, uh, all of a sudden, the UK, uh, a, a virus that looks a lot like a UK variant started showing up in this person. So what they found is that basically under certain sets of conditions in um, immunocompromised people, you can see the pathogenic strains of COVID start to form before you see them in the, the population at large, because in a, in a um, uh, immunocompromised person that COVID doesn't have those same checks on its reproduction. Uh, so it really kind of turned that whole person into an experimental virus making factory because the protein a virus uses to copy its genome is not great like it, it's it don't get me wrong like it, it does a pretty good job but like in our own cells the 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 penalty of being wrong in multiplying our own dna is cancer uh mm-hmm. in a virus the penalty for mutating your genome is potentially a more fatal virus that works better for you the virus so you know they, yeah. Yeah. viruses are really good at rolling those dice um, and so for me, how I have shifted in my viewing is I'm no longer looking at those mildly sick animals as having developed a illness that can uh, potentially or develop a, a virus that could potentially cause illness. Yeah. Instead, I'm looking at them more as uh, this is a snake that is currently a virus mutation factory. And so I want it the hell out of any other rest of my animals because you know the 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 virus that so this whole building i don't trust for a second that a single one of these animals are negative because again every year i'll have a positive pop up out of nowhere so you know it's 
the virus that is currently in my colony is not causing illness. And so I'm okay to kind of leave it at that. But now that I'm looking at these six snakes, I'm looking at them as a virus mutation factory where they might roll the dice on a colony killer virus, you know? So maybe mm. it's, it's, you know, I, I kind of wonder if we're putting, you know, if it's a chicken or egg scenario, like, is it, is it the sickness that causes the killer virus or is it the virus that causes the killer sickness? Yeah. Um, because if you kind of think of viruses as, as kind of part of the, the, the snake microfauna, mm. uh, microflora and fauna, you know, and, and it's, and it's, so this is what's really unique is, uh, my stance coming from cell culture, because what I do is I take a little bit of an animal, it's heart, it's lung, whatever, and I throw it on a plate and I try and create the conditions for it to grow and reproduce. Uh, and with that tissue, sometimes causes comes bacteria that was already in the tissue, already on the snake, mm -hmm. you know, that they just lives there. And right. for cell culture, we definitely don't want it there. So we try and get rid of stuff like that. But, you know, even when we try and make the most medically scientific sterile conditions, when we're taking an in-sterile thing and putting it into our attempt at a sterile environment, you know, we, we, we can't kid ourselves. And yeah, yeah. where I'm going with that is that, you know, we do the absolute same thing of we take a tiny portion of an, a being, the being mm. being a wildlife population, and we take a tiny portion of that some some cells, some uh, individual animals, <laughs> yep. and uh, you know, I throw them in a box with media. We throw them in a box with mulch, and we try and create the conditions for them to grow and reproduce. And you know, the same conditions that make the cells grow also make the bacteria that grow with the cells grow. And the same mm -hmm. conditions that make our snakes grow grow the bacteria that the snakes come along with. You know, so it's. Yep. If you think of virus as part of that, and we do know these role, these viruses have a place in wild populations that that you know is is uh, complicated. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> so it it's elements of what we see maybe maybe aren't so. I don't know. I don't know where I'm going on this, but but just just that we're we're taking in sterile beings and trying to pretend that we're them in sterile conditions in sterile and condition. we're not right, right. yeah and no it's not so racks in their room and they're like everything's sterile everything's clean they're still living beings inside of your yeah know, your and i mean what well, it also goes to the so there's there's a like so like if i'm working with a specific pathogen um in, in people i would order like a specific mouse that i know uh is so it's it's called a SSP or S, uh, SPP, specific SPF, man, not good at uh, the, the letters there. Specific <laughs> pathogen free. So it's a specific pathogen free line of mice. Mm -hmm. And this is saying that it is free of a specific type of something. Mm -hmm. Like you can't even just say, like, this is a sterile mouse. No. It is sterile right. for one thing and one thing only. Yeah. So yeah. it's like it, the, the expectation of a, entirely serpento free collection if you don't start out with that as your square one goal testing stuff getting it out of the egg as soon as possible and you know expecting <laughs> a serpento virus free colony just kind of might be some level of unrealistic yeah mm -hmm. yeah and i, I so, think so 
and within that, I look through the filter of, of, okay, well, clearly there are circumstances that bees can kill colonies. Um, mm. So how do we avoid that? Because, uh, and, and, you know, so, so, so uh, again, fully hobbyist hat on. Here is my loosely drawn out protocol of how you as a producer can deal with serpentovirus uh in a close to practical way you know you mm -hmm. you know you, you can be perfect at it you can test every offspring multiple times you can test every animal multiple times in your colony and you can spend hundreds of thousands of dollars doing it and i don't kid myself to think that that's a realistic proposition for 99 percent of the people out there yeah so with that in mind here's how i work around my colony um which is to say that 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 this is how i work my healthy colony where i normally you know i i have one female blood that i said broke with that mild rest that i'm isolating so it, exclusive to that one snake this is how i would generally go about managing my uh healthy colony so uh for starters any for sale offspring that i plan on making available um i absolutely keep in a different room as my adults. So mm -hmm. um, we don't see any evidence of vertical transmission, certainly on pythons. With boas, it might be a little more complicated because like they give birth in the cage. So that, right. yeah, but but certainly with pythons, and even then, the sooner you can get them away, the better in terms of that. Like a, an artificial incubation is more than enough time period where risk of virus, active live virus still left on the eggshell is very minimal yeah okay. so um what that means with that decent bio uh with that no vertical transmission is that even close to decent biosecurity is pretty much your best insurance policy you could take as a seller you know mm -hmm. if you if you have your your for sale offspring that you have have lived nowhere else but the egg and that room um that's a pretty safe animal to put out without you know worrying about text testing it ahead of time Kind of thing you know i think i think yeah. that is that is certainly fits the criteria of which i would feel comfortable prior to insisting on testing before i buy you know mm -hmm. yeah um so that's how i deal with for sale offspring. um specifically stuff if i were to try and sell it and that customer wanted an explicit serpentovirus nidovirus free animal I feel like the best way to do that is uh, a, probably to send it with a fish heads diagnostic test to take on arrival. Because the thing is, so like my blood pythons will test negative. If I go out there and I test them, they will test negative. They don't test positive until they have a reason to test positive. And that reason is stress. They're either, you know, laying at you know, gravid because they have eggs. It's cold because they're a male and they're breeding females. You know, there's, there's some reason there's some fact and it can even tie changes. in with with uh husbandry too like it's not it's just again virus is one of the many variables in 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 the equation and it depends so much on so many <laughs> so many things yeah. but uh yeah so i think the 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 safest way would be to sell an offspring with a test to take by the customer that way the customer knows that that they have taken that sample themselves they can assure that the quality is up to their own standard because they're the ones taking it 
that mm -hmm. animal, because it's fresh out of shipment, is going to be as stressed as possible. Um, so it's if there's a low-lying infection there, your chances of picking it up are better. Um, and and uh, yeah, so that that's what I think is realistic. Is I actually don't think it would ever be possible to fully guarantee a truly nido animal. Um, and I can kind of go into some reasons why later on, but 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 aside from that, that um, I think that the the best balance is that I think a, a, a seller can guarantee a negative result on short arrival after release, uh, after uh, receipt. And yeah. and I think that is I think that is uh, probably the most realistic way for for buyer and seller to navigate this if they were genuinely concerned about both protecting yourself as a seller and both as preventing you know pathogens from coming in as a as a buyer. So um, yeah, so that's my 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 other pillar of how I manage biosecurity in my colony is I screen and I quarantine stuff coming in. Mm -hmm. um, so I go way over the top with a year long quarantine, um, but but that's a little probably atypical for, for what's probably necessary for most people, but certainly four to six months is, is I think pretty reasonable. And within that time span, again, for pinvirus is something you're concerned about, which there's very good reason to be, um, testing two to three times in that interval is a very much good idea. So yeah. that, that is yeah. how you can it, be safe with it. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for the, for the people who are looking at a positive test and thinking that that means that their snake is going to die, that's, that's not really always the case, right? It's certainly not always the case. Like, again, it's, if you see a sick animal, you, if you see a sick animal, a sick python with a rasp, it almost always has a, a serpentivirus. It's like, yeah. it either has a serpentivirus or we haven't found the serpentivirus because it's a little bit different and our primers aren't picking it up kind of thing. Like it, it yeah. It, it, these viruses are very common. So the immediate receipt of a positive result is not, you know, don't don't get your thinking too far ahead of yourself. It's not the absolute end of the world. Like slow down, think about what is the context in which this virus is causing problems for your animal um, and, you know, kind of work within that realm. And don't get me wrong. Like, I, I really want to make sure I'm walking a very fine line here because I really don't want to give off the impression that these viruses don't matter. And I really don't want to give off the impression to not trust testing because I absolutely think these viruses matter a whole lot. And I absolutely mm -hmm. think testing is critical. The mm -hmm. problem is when people have a different understanding of what they think that virus might represent and yes. also yes. what question they think they're answering with their testing versus the kind of actual question they're answering with their testing. And I think that's that's been one of the biggest issues whenever discussions of, of nidovirus or serpentoviruses ever come up is uh, there's the people who think like, I have tested this animal, you know, two or three times and it's consistently been negative. Therefore, it is 100% negative and you know when you when you throw that sidestep to them where it's like well that actually doesn't mean anything because you know as the primers change you know and and get more intricate as as you learn you guys learn more about stuff um or if that virus mutates you know and then suddenly gets picked up then you know you can't guarantee that that's not going to happen or, or you know shedding enough thing or you're not yeah i mean you, again, so you have you have multiple things going on here. So you have a 
phylogenetic tree of snakes that is big. Uh, yeah. And the viruses that infect those snakes also is looking to be big. So mm -hmm. yeah, there's a big combination of particular type of virus plus particular type of snakes plus particular stress conditions mm -hmm. um, that can certainly lead up to something that can very much wipe out colonies. But 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 it's just it's just it's very it's very tricky. <laughs> yeah. So but there's there's animals who can test positive. They are kind of like asymptomatic, like yes. the people yep. with the coronavirus who you know don't show any symptoms. They're not sick. They're not coughing. No fever. You know, none yeah, of the things and, you would expect to see, but they're still positive. They still carry it. And there's a there's a pretty good chance that that's the majority. Uh, honestly, I would at this point feel like it's, it's very safe to assume majority, that it's, yeah. it's 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 safe to assume that the majority is an entirely asymptomatic positive. Is, is yeah. what your average uh, serpentivirus case is. But uh, we only find the ones that cause problems because we're only looking for problems. Those people who are testing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So somebody somebody asked in in the comments, um, what what should a seller do if uh, somebody does purchase a snake in your your scenario, sending it out with a, a NIDO right. test, and it ends up testing positive? What then becomes the appropriate course of action afterwards? Um, yeah, so there's kind of a, a whole range and it really just depends on, it really depends on certain circumstances. So like, I'll give, yeah. a, I'll give an ex a specific example. So I have a, a group of top wind pythons and mm -hmm. one of the males in that group of which I have, I made sure to get numerous males since they are, <laughs> that's a thing you need to breed them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So multiple males one of those wild caught males uh actually tested positive for a serpentovirus mm -hmm. um and uh but but is like totally pretty solid on health like you know had this thing for six months now and it's it's a solid animal um but the rest of the animals in the project are negative so you know until i need that male i really don't want him around the rest of them yeah, you know, right. if I get to a point where that's the last male I have, then then I'd roll those dice on exposing that female and knowing that, you know, the, this virus in this male Papuan python didn't cause illness. So maybe the same virus in my female won't. That's that's the risk that I choose to gamble in that scenario. Right. Um, and that's the risk I chose to take with the retics because I've used my positive male retic to breed, uh, you know, a different female retic. And, and, you know, they're both, again, perfectly healthy solid mm. snakes so so anyway what i did with this particular male that i didn't want hanging around the colony was um i had a friend who really wanted some experience with pop winds and they had a place so i built a whole cage with it and that cage and that animal are a combined unit uh mm. and i'm letting him you know have fun with his pop wind python and if i ever end up needing him, I can, you know, give him a call and that's where my mail is. But, you know, in the meantime, I know he's not presenting any risk because he's kept in an isolated cage in a pet type environment. Um, but I also know that that if I ever do need him because he's an animal that that would very much serve a purpose and, you know, my type colony, um, I know where he is. So so option one is to kind of rehome it out like a like an FIV cat, uh, like one of the cats with like an HIV type mm. virus where basically if you have a cat positive for that, you really shouldn't have a cat, another cat that's negative for it, or else they're going to kind of get each other sick. 
Um, so yeah, some sort of scenario like that. And, and it doesn't have to be anything crazy, even just, you know, if you have most of your snakes in a bedroom and you want to keep your questionable one out in the living room, I think that's within pretty realm of safe if you're doing decent biosecurity. So yeah. Yeah. Um, so it essentially it essentially all ends up becoming like situational, you know, from the yeah, buyer it's to entirely the seller. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's yeah. Whatever and so, you guys agree on. So for me in my colony, so like so I, I should I should step back and say that I have um so we're, I'm sitting right now in my office and quarantine room. I also have a outbuilding where I have my most of my adult blood pythons and then I have an offspring area that's separate from all of that. And then what I have coming in eventually is going to be another uh like totally sterile building which is going to be what I'm working into. Mm -hmm. Um but basically so my whole building I know what's in the colony. I know when I feel I should be scared of it. I mm. know that because I'm not selling animals out of that colony and I have my offspring in a separate area, that those animals present relatively little risk, especially if they're testing negative on tests because they're not even shedding enough virus to pick up as a positive. So mm. what I would do specifically if I have blood python that you know left my facility totally healthy, ended up popping back with a positive test and I recognized that virus as being my virus, um, I would probably have some trepidation. Like I'd probably put it through a quarantine period before throwing it back at a colony, but I wouldn't, um, if it went back to testing negative, I would probably feel some level of safe putting it in my colony. And, and I really need to stress that some level of safe means that I assume every single one of those snakes in that building is positive and treat them as if they are such. So, mm. you know, it's, it's there's so many different ways to, to manage around it. And so many of them are, I don't know, you have to do some level of mental gymnastics to be excited about working with a snake, with a building of snakes that you've already, you know, you're, you're like already decided these are positive. You just haven't found out when yet. Um, <laughs> so, you know, but, but, but you can essentially walk through any colony like that today and it's essentially true. most likely to be the same thing. You know, if you've done no true. testing and you have more than a couple of pythons and you're not seeing mass swarms of illness, but you've still seen literally any level of respiratory at anything, like you're walking through a room with probably at least one positive snake in it and probably yeah. a lot more than that. But yeah. Well, that's I remember. It just, yeah, I I remember when when we were down at, at Southeast Carpet Fest, like the the, the consensus seemed to be like if one you have ten. more than ten snakes, you have at least one animal that most likely it would test positive for for a nidovirus. So those numbers still kind of appearing around the same. It's really hard to say because it's like you know we get in diagnostic samples, but a lot of times you know you you can never tell if someone's sending in a diagnostic sample because it's a problem or if they're sending in a diagnostic sample because they want to make sure they're being safe but um right. mass screens of some studies in or some studies that have done mass screening of adult python colonies in both Europe and US have found like double digit prevalence in adult pythons without illness kind of stuff so you know yeah. some i would be shocked if the real prevalence in pythons is uh less than 10 percent. now in other stuff it's different like we do have turtle serpentoviruses and 
um, lizard ones. And, you know, if it's a reptile, at this point, we've probably found one of these viruses in it. Like, there was just a veiled chameleon virus published, uh, like, last month. So, you know. Oh, wow. I, was, yeah. I was gonna say, I heard some some rumors about, like, a huge percentage of chameleons in the United States testing positive for some sort of yeah, it's, yeah, they, a lot of their it, it was a very high prevalence in that chameleon population. So, within that, uh, <laughs> so so, but that being said, like the risk is not represented fully between each taxa, like mm-hmm. yeah, but it's also kind of different in the sense, like. We don't have very many boa viruses, but when we find a boa with a boa virus, he tends to be in not great shape. Uh, we see a ton of python viruses, and we see plenty of python viruses in pythons that are not in great shape, but we also see plenty of them that are in pythons Perfect with great shape. Fly. So, yeah. you know. Mm. Yeah. Which, again, I, I really want to make sure I'm not minimizing the risk that these, colony, uh, these viruses represent. I mean, I have right, all right, people right. have lost... A non-insignificant amount of, you know, money, time, animal life, you know, mm-hmm. my own life effort. Sanity. Uh, yeah. Yeah, to, to the viruses. So, you know, I, I really don't want to come here and, and seem like I'm minimizing this. But, but you know, if, if the person who lost a good portion of colony of blood pythons can sit here and say that I actually still think it's probably fully... Uh, possible to navigate a colony with these viruses should mean something yeah 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 100 percent. and i i think that uh especially as more of the research comes available and, and more conversations like this happen where, where we're able to kind of get more of an inside look we we can actually start to have those conversations that are less finger pointing and more like let's share some knowledge about this to people who might not know and figure out how it how you can successfully navigate um, yeah. a, a collection regardless of the size with animals that may be testing yeah. positive. Yeah. So I'll do, so I have a quick, quick demo and I might actually have a little surprise. I just got a ding from my computer that a, that a thing might be ready. Uh, Ooh, I like things. <laughs> yeah. So what I did was I went ahead and ran uh, before the program here, um, a phylogenetic tree of all the like publicly made, um, Serpentivirus uh, genomes. So hopefully mm-hmm. I'll be able to pull that up and show you guys to kind of see the diverse. So so these are genomes that are available online right now. You guys, Jeremy and Rob, can go to GenBank and type in the numbers that are in these, and uh, you know end up with um, the same set sequences I'm working with. So well, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm not finding my program. Well. I'll do pause on that for now. Um, so real quick, what I wanted to show before that, is there any way to rotate this around? No, I'll just make you guys like nauseous. Okay. Yay. <laughs> Look at this awesome ride. <laughs> okay. Can you guys do that to some extent? Yes, sort of. A little bit, yeah. Okay. So these are all genomes that are available publicly online. So here's wow. green tree python, green tree python, blood python, retic, here's the veiled chameleon. Um, and we can take a look real quick at one of these uh, 
viruses and see what's kind of made up. So all these like green and yellow things are proteins mm -hmm. uh, and kind of genes that code for proteins. But if we zoom in, we can actually see there's the genetic code, A, G, T, C, blah, blah, blah. You okay. remember this from high school. Wow. Um, yeah. So each one of these things is a gene. Uh, so the gene that we target with our testing is this part of this second gene here, this ORF1B. Um, mm -hmm. here is the S gene. That's the spike protein. So the vaccine, the vaccine that, uh, coronavirus, that's, that's this gene right here, but here's it in a, uh, ball python. So mm -hmm. what I did was I took these handful of viruses and I lined them up, uh, and compared them to each other. And so when we open this document, this thing at the top, the red and the green show how similar they are. And so you can see towards the end here, the spike proteins and all this other kind of stuff is super variable. Um, the beginning part of this gene is super variable. The one area where it stays kind of similar is this area. And so that's where testing typically uh, focuses in on this gene right here, because that's where it's the most consistent of all of them across the genomes. Oh, interesting. So, so when you're trying to make primers to pick up all of these viruses, so we have viruses from lizards here, we have viruses from a bunch of different pythons. Um, so the goal is to create a primer that would pick up all of them. So you could pick them all up and we'll test, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But when we start zooming in, we can actually see that the actual, like, even though they're kind of similar, there's very few stretches in which case all the nucleotides are green for all of them. Yeah. And so to make a primer, I need about 20 base pairs that are all the same Oof. to be able to pick up all of these viruses. Yeah. So this is like, what, seven viruses of the 200 probably that we know are out there. So, yeah. Wow. <laughs> now this, so just, this is just that ORF1B gene. Mm -hmm. uh, and so this is that, that area that is very consistent up between pretty much all the genomes, but is still like not that consistent. And so I'm going to show you my, my program here can search, like I can give it a primer and it can predict where the primer would bind. So yeah. here is primer one. So this is primer PVTF, which is in a Laura Hoon Hanks paper. Mm -hmm. um, and this is one of the diagnostic primers that I trust the most. Um, so this is like as if it were a standard PCR, this is the, the forward primer. And we can see that we got, it paired with the blood python, it paired with green tree, ball python, another green tree, veiled chameleon, it missed my retic and it missed the shingle back skink. But we also need a second primer so that we can have a little fragment of something and that's our target. So here is those sequences with two primers. And so now, the veiled chameleon, primer one worked, but primer two didn't. So we wouldn't pick that up on a test. Retic never worked for primer one, so we wouldn't pick that up on a test. We would pick up green tree. We would pick up ball python. We would pick up green tree. We would pick up blood python, but we'd miss and go back. So that is how a typical PCR test works. And that is like your 60 to $150 range test. There is another type of PCR called a qPCR, which is cheaper. And this test has pros and cons, but one of the cons to it is that you need a third primer. So already just by needing two primers, we've lost like half of the viruses on this list. By needing a third primer to match up and, and all three need to be able to match up. Now we can only pick up green tree python, ball python, and another green tree python virus.
So if I had a wow. blood python serpentivirus and I submitted it for a test that was using three primers, the chances of it getting picked up if that was not the virus that test was originally based on is not great. So, so this really shows um, the difference in what we call sensitivity and specificity. So um, this test, which is our standard uh, PCR, has uh, a higher spec, uh, a higher uh, specificity. It can, it can detect uh, more viruses than this other test. This other test has a lower specific, uh, lower specificity, but a higher sensitivity. So it can detect virus when it's actually at a lower level. So if you know what you're looking for and you know what to be scared of, this is probably the test to choose if you know it'll pick it up. If you don't know what you're looking for, then this might be the test you're looking for because uh, again, you're, you you might be missing more samples just from how these tests have to operate. So yeah, that's uh, uh, a little on the fly demo of some uh, protein virus stuff 101. Um, and yeah, I, hopefully that gives you uh, some level of, of, of sense in terms of like taking testing from this hypothetical thing of mixing uh, chemicals in a tube to, to actually showing what is occurring and why something might work and why something might not. And why you might get a negative on a positive snake. Because again, if I sent in that blood python virus and it didn't match with all three primers, then I would have a negative thing. For all I knew. And then people go, look, I've got a, a Nido free negative. snake. And yeah. it's like, well, Nido free snake. Or or, yeah. or and I send it to someone else, and that someone else uses a different testing company that does pick it up. And now, you know, maybe it could get so bad as that that person says, Well, I test it and it's positive, and you told me it would just test negative. Amazing. I bet you faked that test, you know. So it's it's there there is there's a lot of room here for a lot of hurt feelings. Uh yeah that that i think we need to be very careful about navigating yeah well i i think one of the things too is like to the average person the average reptile keeper that maybe has 10 animals like maybe has 10 animals and they go through this endeavor and they, they get their animal tested and you know you test it and it's negative and they test it and it's positive and then it's like freaking out um you know, uh, uh, trying to then explain something like this to them at that point, it, it's so far over their head because all they're seeing is I have a, a positive animal or this animal tested positive. You told yeah. me it was negative, whatever. So we kind of I don't want to say we lose the ability to have that conversation, but Makes to the harder. average person, it, it's just, it's hard to fathom, you know, these these varying things that make these make these tests not foolproof and and it's not for obviously the lack of uh sciencey things that, that yeah it's happen. really what it is is, is you know, all of these scientific techniques have known limitations yeah. that are just not known by anyone who's unless other than the people who yeah yeah, 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 exactly. And that's that's the I think that's the thing that that uh, is the most unfortunate about this is like, you know, because we get into keeping reptiles because we love keeping reptiles, you know, and most people, again, thinking about the average person who's just getting an animal because they, they think it's awesome and they love having that animal. They're not necessarily thinking of, 
you know, anything as simple as, well, what's the scientific name of the snake, let alone, hey, let me understand how PCR tests work. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Right. <laughs> you yeah. Know what I mean, so to have to then have those conversations or have to have those conversations, it takes a it takes a little bit. Um, I don't want to say it takes the magic out of keeping reptiles, but it uh, it really makes you want to understand like, oh, I will science out for taking the. No, it, it fully takes away the magic of the animal. I well, mean, listen, really, Steve, you are you're a doctor. You're a doctor. No, but that's the thing. Everything's I horrifying to, to you. <laughs> no, see, the, the thing is, I don't like, like, I didn't like set out in life wanting to study viruses. I studied yeah. viruses because I, I had a tremendous hole in my life created by a virus that I wanted to figure out how the hell that happened. You yeah. know, so it's, it, and what is interesting and, and, you know, where I, see myself as fortunate kind of before my time in some sense is that I learned the lesson that you can build the best system in the world and all it takes to topple it sometimes is 30,000 nucleotide bases. And lo and behold, <laughs> two years later, the, the world learns that exact same lesson that you can build the best system in the world and all it takes yeah. is one little thing and we can topple it you know, right on over. So, so the, yeah. the fear is warranted, but also breathe. You know, it's yeah. it. You can, you can probably still put yourself in the position of being unlucky if you have, if you lose animals to to serpentovirus. But you can still apply unlucky at the population scale of herpetoculture in the U.S. and end up with a lot of unlucky people. And yeah. you know it. it it's hard to parse and navigate your way through those two realities because you can do absolutely everything right and still end up in a place where you didn't think you'd be, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Man, there's, there's certainly so much to, to discuss and, and discover as, as obviously as the science is still unfolding because it's still, still, it's still learning, it's still learning. Yeah. Things yeah. are still in a very, in the very new stages. So I, I'll, uh, I finally got my tree up, so I'll show it real quick, and this will be the last okay. we can talk about this, and then we can talk about unsafe stuff and, and be done talking about <laughs> all this stuff. So, um, yeah, so this is a phylogenetic tree that I just ran. They just they just finished on air. This is the first time I'm looking at it. There's actually some samples in here that I'm really excited about, including that Papuan python virus. So now I finally get to reveal on air where he fits in the phylogenetic tree of uh, serpentoviruses. So let me pick you for right again. All right, can you guys see that? Yes, it's very, very hard to see, but we can see it. It it should be very tiny. Actually, hold on. I think I can increase the size. Ah, there we go. Yeah. There we go. So these are the numbers that if you search them up, you will find some of these samples. Um, some of them are not published. They don't have those numbers, but um, they're samples from my stuff. So I don't feel fine showing them. So um, these are the ball python viruses. And I would definitely say that, that um, by and large, when we see problems there is oftentimes ball python or a virus very similar to ball python sitting there as the problem child so i would basically say that like anything in this plate is kind of scary business mm -hmm. over here we have a bunch of green trees and my blood python virus that again i know in some contexts can do nothing in some contexts is scary uh and then here is that new Papuan virus. So I actually did think he was going to sit alone by himself, and he's not that really closely related to anything. So it's, uh, hmm. yeah, he's kind of different, kind of weird. And uh, here's my retake. So he's like way off on his own. 
Really? So, Very yeah, it just, uh, just goes to show that there's huge diversity here. Um, here's shingleback skink. So this was found in a skink, failed chameleon. This was found in a water snake nematode. This was found in a, I think, a wild, like, mandarin rat in China. Um, wow. So, like, these viruses are out there, and we definitely see a breakdown. Like, these are colubrid viruses, but they don't fully, like, these are mostly python viruses. But then you have a weird lizard virus in here and a lizard virus. So, it's just nothing. Oh, here's the emerald tree boa virus. Yeah. It's, here's the boa, the emerald tree boa virus is most closely related to cow nidovirus. So, it's, you know. It's, what? What? Yeah. Genes are, genes are all over the place. So, uh, wow. viruses are weird. Viruses are crazy. Family's really big. Expect a lot of virus diversity and when you're talking about nido or serpento like this is what you are cumulatively talking about and this is just the publicly available full genomes because we have like hundreds of other samples that are also published that just have partial genomes so it's like wow. this is this is like getting a rough shape of the general shape of how big the iceberg might be this is not i can't even go so far as to say that this is the tip Damn, wow. this is less than the tip. That's wild. Yeah. So Damn. there you go. Last snake talk. That was everything. I, I I made an agenda ahead of time of, of info I really wanted to hope you'll show people, and, and that was the last bit. So now we can <laughs> talk about cool snake stuff and projects and all that jazz. Uh, let's talk about. We just we talked about nothing but viruses and a dead ball python. So let's. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Let's the immortal ball python. The okay? immortal, immortal ball yeah. python. That's true. That... <laughs> <laughs> so oh, so what kind of uh what kind of project what kind of stuff you got uh going on behind you there because you do have some some you said that this is your quarantine room yes this is the quarantine room and this is also where i get to do all my sort of fun experimentation stuff oh so, is this the rack uh, yes! yeah this yes! is my yes! rack. we see a scrub python just chilling there sitting in the fork of the uh tree that i'm able to provide through this type of caging um and what's really cool is that i can like fully remove this bottom section and do any sort of maintenance I need without, you know, fully disturbing him. Although, you know, I did, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, They're I've, smart. uh, you know what's going on really yeah. taken upon myself to, to really experiment with just some weird, wacky, uh, new, new ways of keeping and, and new, uh, ways of building stuff. Uh, you can see, I can have like some weird, uh, uh, I think she has one. Oh, she just knocked it down. To... elevated perches and stuff yeah. like that so yeah it's uh yeah it got really uh playing around with a 3d printer and all that jazz and then uh, one thing kind of led to another i realized that oh i could do this and then i could do that and then i can do this other thing and then i can so anyway <laughs> where i'm at with it now because uh, i built those like modified weird freedom breeder racks about a year ago um yeah and uh i'm actually to the point where i'm like screw the tubs like half of the challenges in that design was making it so that it worked as both a rack and a cage yeah and then i realized that the benefit the rack provided was almost Minimal. nil what i really want is a cage that slides out like a rack yep and so i already have that like i can i can pull out that top section like a normal cage slash tub like it opens like a tub works like a cage and i figured that's what i wanted why the heck am i spending so much effort creatively trying to accommodate this bottom tub and also wasting two levels of a rack when i could just you know have a suspended cage off of freedom breeder frame which i think mm. is you know a be i think that would look sharp Ooh, i think that'll look good yeah, yeah. so 
that's probably the direction I'm heading it in is, is that, you know, I have a bunch of freedom breeder equipment and I love freedom breeder, but, uh, you know, I've, I've hit the limit of their equipment of what their equipment can provide. And, uh, you know, I want to, I want to, I want to try something new. So, um, yeah, that's, that's what I'm gearing towards moving towards in the future. And also, you know, it just, I like seeing this stuff. It, it, I, I didn't realize how much we were missing, uh, even in a clear tub, yeah. like mm -hmm. it, it, it's, uh, we don't we don't know anything about these animals that we think we do it's like the pcr we are uh we're we're asking a one question thinking we're uh answering another yeah yeah yep. for sure yeah and dude i i love the uh seeing the updates you've been posting of like uh the pop ones and then the the scrubs and everything and i'm just like oh yeah. yes i just more more <laughs> oh yeah 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 so um so yeah long term for my colony what i've been doing um is trying to get some of these very you know kind of obscure python species and just doing these incredibly over the top year-long quarantines testing the snot out of them um and i said i have another clean building coming and that's going to be like you know an entirely biosecure thing and so mm -hmm. the, the goal is to have a, a I, i'm worried about pythons you know i'm worried about these viruses i i i'm nervous that they're out there um and i would feel a good sense of uh reassurance if i knew that there was some place where there was definitely pythons and definitely not virus and uh i figured i i of anyone would be the type of sort to be able to create such a thing so that's what i'm working on yeah i i think that one of the things that uh people don't think about like when people think about oh well, i brought a snake into my you know into my collection and i quarantined him blah blah, blah. Uh, the thing that i think about is how did that snake get into the u.s because like with the with the scrubs and a lot of the imported stuff like pop ones and stuff they, the people who are collecting them are probably taking 30 of them and putting them all in a bag and then carrying them to wherever they're selling them to whatever port or, you know, wherever uh, skinning center that they're bringing them to. And they're just carrying a whole buttload of these things together. And you got to figure that if there's one infected animal in there, then yeah, they're all. Oh, and we got to think too, that, that, so what we do here is we've changed the entire like mathematics of what a virus will operate under in our captive yes. position conditions by 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 creating these very dense populations we actually mm -hmm. change the type of trait that would be selected for in a virus to do well in that set of circumstances yeah. mm -hmm. so again it's like we can pair these kind of probably pretty inert background viruses that they carry in, carry from the wild uh and yet place them under conditions which we can suddenly all of a sudden select for inadvertently the type of thing that's going to spread across the shortest area possible yeah. and the fastest <laughs> time possible. And, and again, you can make a, yeah, I guess it's a, we don't know what makes a killer virus, Yeah, but so, but, but we also know that there are plenty of not killer viruses. Yeah. Yeah. So is there any species that you've gotten that you're just like, I didn't, I wasn't expecting to like these as much as I do. Um, you know what is the, so yeah. So in this room I have, uh, Sabu's water pythons, um, Timor's, uh, 
Polyretix, um, some ring pythons. Uh, yeah. So oh, the, the pythons. Uh, I love ring pythons, but I know. The so I, I actually have some. Yeah, they are. And I got some really weird ones. Like I was like, if I'm getting in a ring python. So I have some like really nice ones out in the building that are like your classic banded high contrast ones. Mm-hmm. And like uh, ones. so, yeah. So what I did with these two is I'm, I'm going to pick the ugliest uh, ringed pythons I can possibly find. And just go as far left as anyone else yes. as I can. Yes. Because again, it, my, my, my goal is to create an isolated, uh, closed colony of pythons of obscure species. So I wanted the maximum divergence of phenotype to really kind of get that full. Spectrum. Hopefully you can use that as a vehicle for, for other genetic variation, but probably not really. But um, anyway, I have some really weird ring pythons that, that ended up actually turning like really cool, almost at a very ish, very smallish stage, uh, they're looking like almost jet black. They're uh, unfortunately both in shed. Literally, but... what I was gonna say, because mm. literally people bullshit and talk crap about Bismarck ring pythons. They're like, well, they're not orange when they are adults. God, look, oh, yeah. God, what is yeah. that? Shit. And, and and here's the deal. People love all black fucking white lip pythons. They're like, oh my god, it's the prettiest snake on the planet. And it's like, a Bismarck yep. ring python is almost that. And if you had an all black one like that, it's even cooler. Oh, awesome. Yeah, exactly. But but actually, so, so, I would say though, out of out of all of the species, the weirdest to me has been the Timors. I was just going to say that. Yeah, just gonna say yeah. that. They, they just, so, so you have two species in my mind that are just weird pythons. Like, they clearly don't fit in any other box of any other python, which is the Papuan, which is kind of intuitive because, you know, aesthetically, everyone's like, oh, it's just an olive python. Like, mm-hmm. but like, if you spend five minutes with one, you're like, this is, this is, I've Very never different. worked with any other python like this. Yeah. Um, the second species that's weird like that is the Timor python yeah. because it just, it just has all these weird elements that it shouldn't have thrown together in one place. So <laughs> weird element one is the genetics of a retic is Maleo Python. Mm-hmm. And like very little about Timor Pythons trigger any of the retic bells in my brain. Yeah. So that's weird thing. Number two, weird thing or weird thing too, is that they have like a weird, um, liasis tail. Like yep. they have yeah, this stubby yeah, yeah. little liasis tail that, yeah. that like, again, it's like, that is, that is many things, but it is not a reticulated python tail. <laughs> the head scalation, they have these giant head scales, not a retic. More like a straight. Yep. More like and, and then the weirdest thing to me is so the only other pythons that I can think of that have a transitioning pattern, which is to say that like like there's some there's some snakes that have like variation in their pattern, but like mm. the only snakes that I can think of that start as one pattern, their middle is a different pattern, their end is another pattern are scrub pythons mm-hmm. and for some reason timors yeah like mm. they should not be in that bucket like even even a barnex scrub and a uh like southern scrub don't have the same transitioning power yep. pattern in the same in the same extreme capacity. as yep. as a timor and a barnex scrub yep. like it, it just it just they're goofy pythons they shouldn't they shouldn't be they just shouldn't it just <laughs> yeah <laughs> Oh man. See, I I look at Timors and like I've I've liked them for a long time, but I never felt that like push to get them and then now I've been seeing more of them and I'm like, "Oh man, I they're just so cool. They're so interesting yeah. to me." 
Yeah, I can't say that they're like necessarily my favorite captives. Um, you know, they definitely like to pee a lot, but they're yeah. not bitey. So like, I'm sure you can be habituated down with it, but like they explicitly just really like to pee for some reason. And that's like, <laughs> and it's just, it's just off-putting. But, um, yeah. you know, aside from that, they're, they're otherwise seem, seem relatively decent, but I the same thing. Like they've always been a cool Python, but I never felt like the sudden urge to it so much as just the fact that like, if I want representation of Python a day, this is clearly a Python that wants representation. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then once I got him, I'm like, oh, you guys are weird. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Hell yeah. Mm. Damn. Mm. I'm still geeking about that all black ring python. That's awesome. <laughs> I really like ring python. So that that to me is like, what the hell? Yeah. Yeah, they've been a they've not been a fun project for me, but mm-hmm. um I know from like a lot of people who keep them. They're like, yeah. they're not really great. They're they they piss yeah, all over. No, they bite like yeah. a motherfucker. Yep. Just... They really like to eat each other or try to eat each other. Yep. And then yep. yeah, no, it's it, it's a, one of these days I'll breed them. But but man, it it has not been. I've not had great luck on the project though. Have you talked to yeah. um Chris at Mystic? No, I haven't. Um, really, I think my problem is I have two females, which is why I got an entire redundant pair uh... because I was like, I'm like, so I had at this point. By the time I suspected they're two females, they're like two adult animals to the oh, point of like sexing them is like gonna not be fun. It'll hurt. So I'm yeah. like, <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, I'll just buy a neonate pair, and then I know I have a male. And um, yeah, I also have an ultrasound. And I felt like I I definitely found follicles in both of them at some point. I don't remember. It's been I have too much going on in my head. Um, uh, yeah, you know, being a doctor and all. Yeah. <laughs> at any rate, so now I have we something come down that, there next time. We should sex them. Yeah, yeah. Or, I'm, yeah, I'm down. I really, my 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 thing is that I know I have a male now, so I'll just see which one gives me eggs and doesn't get eaten. But cool. <laughs> doesn't need a blood donation. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Oh, here's a here's another random thing that I am excited about. That um, is a plug for a company that is not giving me anything to uh, drop them. But uh, <laughs> so like. Uh, I'm really listening. excited. Uh, Husbandry Pro is like Ooh. a new data software that's yes. come out. Mm-hmm. And okay, so I'm like Mr. Data. At every podcast I've ever been on, I've talked about at length how important keeping data is. Yes. And then inevitably, you or whoever it is ask me, okay, well, what should your general keeper at home use? And then I'm like, crickets. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. there's no good options out there. Uh, and uh, I'm really excited because it looks like Husbandry Pro, they're serious about it. Like, like I, I'm not going to lie. Like, I uh, went in day one and, like, really wanted to see their system put through its paces and, you know, had a list of stuff that I would like to see if, if I were to switch over from my own database. And um, they done a very good job at hitting those items, like, in a way that has truly impressed me to the point of where I'm able to vouch for a final queryable data system for tracking and keeping animals that I think actually has enough flexibility to be both uh, useful and you know, it, it's both, it provides a, a good balance of ease of use and utilitarian, uh, I don't know, output from it. Like in the sense of you don't have to change your workflow to, to put the system into it. I, I feel like they've done a good job at that and uh, made a good job of extracting meaningful data from that. So that is uh High praise that I am very relieved that I finally get a chance to like 
for anyone who's ever asked me what they should use, that is where I'm going to point you towards now Husband because, pro. Yeah. yeah, because again, it's, it's good enough where like I was at the point where I would have to make a, a better front end for my database to do everything I wanted to do. And then it became apparent that I think their, their system is going to be able to do everything it needs to. So why bother? I was going to say, um, Billy from Mutation Creation just adopted that, and he's really in, enjoying it. He's been promoting it, too. He has been promoting it. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I, like I said, I, the, the, because I've done enough of these database stuff, like the, the, the type of suggestions I sent them were like not easy suggestions. And they had them cranked out at a rate that would like make me feel pitiful. Like, it, they, <laughs> they, you know, they're to, to again, to, to a degree that it was very clear that they're very serious about it. And that gives me like good hope that there's actually uh, some innovation coming in there that, that I'm really excited to see because I, Oh man, snake keeping with data at scale is, Oh, you know, you, you guys know me well enough to know that that's, that checks all my boxes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. That's awesome. <laughs> if it makes Steve happy, that means it's good. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh! It's like how you know what when I when I'm like I give it the the thumbs up. You're like, oh, this must be oh, good. Oh, this is Rob, good. Yeah. Rob doesn't give if you it. Got all. the thumbs up from Rob. That's that's you're gonna want to check that out. Probably gonna be critical of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, dude, it's oh, freaking man. awesome. Hell yeah, it's freaking awesome. All right, I think it's I think it's about that time. It is about that time. We re- we've run a little long. Yeah, we've run a little long, but it's okay because no. we got some really great information. And this was a much needed episode. A hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. 100%. And uh, yeah, I guess I can also, if you guys have any sort of uh, supplemental material to hand out, I can probably like in the screenshots notes. as well to uh, make this a little more accessible to people who didn't, you know, aren't looking at a video feed or some of it. Yes. Instagram. What for the Instagram that we he, if he's got stuff that he can screenshot. Oh yeah 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 yeah. Oh yeah, that's sure. it. Boom. Yeah. If you and any any links that um, that you have to stuff that we can send people to, just um, just text them to me, and I can put them in the description of the video and the the Show audio yeah. stuff. So so yeah. if people want to check out more about any of this genome stuff, like science, jumbo. sciencey things <laughs> from the doctor. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, you can text me those, and I'll make sure that they. Uh, they go up in the video descriptions and and everything like that, so people can can uh, check it out. Oh, I see. So yeah, I'm gonna no ask problem. you. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it right at you. The question we ask everybody: What yeah. right now in the realm of reptiles got you excited? What is it? What's got you? What's got you geeked? What's got you stirring? You know, so there's a there's an energy right now, and um, I'm really excited and curious to see where it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we got a lot going on in the world right now. There's a lot of pent up something. Yes. And, uh, you know, we're coming to a point where the uncorking of that is, you know, approaching realistic. It's happening. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that has me excited. I'm really excited to see how the money flows this year. If it flows in the same way as it did last year, which was unique and weird i'm curious to see how reptile expos go um i'm just i'm really curious about all of it i'm curious uh you know i could i can see everyone just like you know roaring 20s and sitting at home they want to blow out to their reptile expo and send a bunch of money or i could see them wanting to go and spend their 1500 bucks in cancun because that's finally you know so i'm just i'm really 
I'm really curious to see how the uh, how that actually shakes out. But kind of building on that and and that that kind of energy is I really do feel like there is a hunger out there and it's growing for anything different. Mm-hmm. And I don't just mean like different species wise, because that's certainly where I think it is most easily like felt with the people drawn towards weird obscure species now becoming back in fashion and, and seeming of having value again and stuff like that. But I also think it's it's hunger and a new not not a new type of keeping, but just a new I don't know. I feel like I feel like uh people are starting to view their animals through a slightly different lens. And um, mm, I'm really yes. excited to see where that goes. And and I think a lot of that has been wrapped into people opening up to other species. But um, I think there are some other elements outside of it too that, 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 so yeah, there's not a great answer to your question because it's sort of a genocide qua of, of, of an answer, but um, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I'm really excited to see how the year goes because I have no clue how it's going to go. Because yeah. there's there's so many different positive and negative scenarios that I could see worked out. Um, I mean, certainly any scenario which doesn't involve a global pandemic is certainly a net positive. But yeah, so so I'm 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 really excited to to kind of see what shakes from that because uh, yeah, I don't know. There, there's just there's a new there's a new feel. Different people ask different questions. Uh, people get excited over stuff in ways that feels new. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm really excited to see how that gets translated back out when the real world is open again. You know how much of that sticks and how much of that stays. And you know I think I think that's the same type of questions everyone's asking in every element of their life right now. Uh, and uh, it's gonna be gonna be really uh, really neat. Hell yeah. Hell yeah, dude. I'm here for it, man. I dig it. That's awesome. I dig it. All right. If people want to find they, more he about want them to find. No, wait. <laughs> I actually I have I have a place to point them this time. Yes. So, oh, there yeah. we go. Yes, okay. So All right. people where want to do find we out send more about you. To? Where do we send them? Where are they gonna go? So I have been trying to re uh my YouTube channel again. Yes. Um yeah. Because yes. I, I, yes. I, I clearly I have a lot of kind of neat projects going on in my life that I feel like it's very different than what a lot of other people are doing. And, um, you know, I've, I've been waiting around for someone else to do it. So I guess at this point, I just need to talk about the well cool shoes I want to talk about. Go yeah. get the doc on so, YouTube. Yes. So the, the, the problem I have is that uh, I don't have any time for editing. So I might have to figure out some logistics on that. But in the meantime, I will point everyone towards my YouTube channel, which is Reptilis, R-E-P-T-I-L-L-I-S. Uh, I already have some pretty neat videos on there so far. So um, if you're not subscribed to that, go subscribe to that because I'm going to have more cool more cool stuff. Uh, and I think it'll be, again, weird pitch for myself. Uh, different. I think it'll be different. That's right. That's right. That's right. I don't dig it. Don't read the comment section. Hell yeah. Don't read the comment section. <laughs> That's, yeah, just don't read the comment section. <laughs> Yeah. Guys are Actually, you know what? I'm I'm gonna what? I'm gonna revise that because the people who are listening to this right now will probably leave useful feedback because I've gotten a lot of really good feedback on my YouTube videos. That's fair. And the last time that I had a foray in YouTube, I did not get that. So <laughs> it's been nice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the whole reason I shut down my channel in the first place is because you know waking up to an inbox of of, of a dozen emails telling me how ugly my hair is and 
you know, <laughs> how stupid my boy. Like, I just, I'm like, this is yeah. not fun anymore yeah. at all. So, yeah. yeah. Hell so, yeah. I'm hopefully that goes somewhere, does something cool. Because, again, it's, it's, I feel like I have a tendency to approach things in a slightly different way than other people. And um, maybe putting a little bit of that out there more might get other people thinking out of the box as well. Hell yeah. Yeah, for sure, dude. All right, man. Thank you so much for coming on tonight, man. It has been amazing yeah, chatting and and I have had a really good time listening to the info that you've been able to share with us tonight. Yeah, for sure, man. Thank you very much. <laughs> yep. It's been great as always. Thank you for having me. Hell yeah. Yeah, man. We'll All have right. you on again soon. Yes. And I yep, absolutely mean soon. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Bye. All right. Take dude. care, man. Have a good night. See Later. you later. Talk to you soon. Boom. Boom. Another one down, Steve. The doc. Yeah. If I'm going to start calling him If you stuck around for, the, for this whole episode, <laughs> I applaud you because yes. it's not always easy for people to understand. Even if you have a background in science, some of this stuff is very complex. Yeah, for sure. So uh, if you want to learn more about anything that Steve is talking about, uh, as soon as he gets me links, I'll make sure that they go in the video description. Um, his uh, YouTube handle uh, is already in the description, and uh, it'll be in the description of the uh, audio only. Um, so go check that out. Subscribe to his channel. Go show him some support. And uh, of course, you can find us on Instagram at reptile.talk at Rob is creeping it real. At Brassman Reptiles. And, uh, and yeah, do that. Do Thank more so of much. that. Thank yeah. you all for hanging out. And make sure that if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review. Yes. Uh, let us know what you think of the podcast so far. I have noticed that the audio quality has been a lot better since we hopped on StreamYard. Yes. And got things uh, swapped up a little bit here. Uh, if you have not, share you know at least one episode with somebody. If you shoot a screenshot over to someone, uh, or sorry, to me, a screenshot of you sharing with somebody. Oh, that's right. Got that. That contest, giveaway. That giveaway. That's right. Where I'll be giving away a temp gun at the end of March. So we got, That's I think, right. one more episode, or it might be this episode is the end one. So we'll be picking it it at be the this end one, of yeah. March. Um, we'll be picking a winner and we'll suit you out a really nice temp gun because everyone should have one in their reptile room. So thank you guys so much That's for right. checking it out. We'll see you next time. See ya.